Hey, history enthusiasts, you get not one, but two events in history today. With that said, on with the show. Hi, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers history one day at a time. The day was March 26, 1812. On page two of the day's issue of the Boston Gazette, there was a drawing by illustrator Elkanah Tisdale with the headline, The Gerrymander. The drawing was a satirical picture of the district that Massachusetts Governor Elbridge Gerry lived in. Gerry was a Democratic Republican, and his party, which controlled the legislature, had recently redrawn Massachusetts Senate districts in their favor to restrict the Federalist vote to a few districts. After Gary signed the redistricting bill to create the misshapen districts in 1812, Federalists viewed the new carved-up map as an extension of his partisanship. Federalists criticized the bill, calling the districts carvings and manglings. Drawing congressional district boundaries for political gain had been done before, and Gary did a lot of other notable stuff in his lifetime, like being vice president. But his legacy lives on in his name's relation to gerrymandering. Gary got his start in politics relatively early. In 1772, he was elected to the General Court of Massachusetts. In 1775, he was elected to the Continental Congress, where he urged the other delegates to declare independence from Britain. In the next year, Gary signed the Declaration of Independence and was elected to the Second Continental Congress. From 1783 to 1785, he served in the Congress of the Confederation. He served in the House of Representatives from 1789 to 1793. Gary was governor of Massachusetts from 1810 to 1812, and after he lost re-election to the governorship, he became vice president to President James Madison. Over the years, Gary had some bold opinions that he stood firmly by. He believed the elite should lead the country, he opposed British rule, and he called for an end to partisanship among Democratic Republicans and Federalists. He supported the Great Compromise, an agreement that states reached on congressional representation, and he believed that the Constitution the Constitutional Convention had drafted was not sufficient and needed amendments in a Bill of Rights. And he fought for checks and balances in government. But the part of Gary's career that he's most associated with is not his role in the founding of the nation or the creation of the Constitution, but for his role in signing a redistricting bill in Massachusetts during his short stint as governor. Gary had come to think that the Federalists wanted to restore the monarchy and that their opposition to President Madison's foreign policy was basically treasonous. And he did start taking actions that aligned with those feelings, like when he replaced Federalists in state government jobs with Democratic-Republicans. Apportionment, or the way legislative seats are distributed among districts, is supposed to provide for equal representation across the board. So when the Democratic-Republicans redrew districts not to follow county boundaries, but to bring more power to their party, Federalists cried partisanship and pointed to Gary's anti-Federalist stance. Gary didn't really support the redistricting either, but it didn't seem to violate the Constitution. This adherence to the Constitution and his worry about the Federalist closeness to Britain likely swayed him to approve the new Frankenstein's monster districts on February 11, 1812. 
there's debate over where the term gerrymander truly originated. Gary's district was long and slender, and someone could have said it looked like a salamander, while someone else retorted it was a gerrymander, rather. Another version of the origin story says painter Gilbert Stewart drew the wings and head on the district on a visit to a newspaper office. Either way, the drawing that showed up in the Boston Gazette on March 26th was accompanied by an article that began, The horrid monster of which this drawing is a correct representation appeared in the county of Essex during the last session of the legislature. Somehow or another, the gerrymander was born, and the Democratic Republicans got a larger state Senate majority in the 1812 election, though the Federalists got over a thousand more votes. Gary died in 1814, but the word gerrymander caught on, eventually morphing to gerrymander. Today, the word gerrymandering has a negative connotation, and the practice is typically viewed as a shady tactic in the U.S. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you'd like to learn more about Gary and gerrymandering, listen to the Stuff You Missed in History Class episode called Elbridge Gary's Monstrous Salamander. If there are any upcoming days in history that you'd really like me to cover on the show, give us a shout on social media at T-D-I-H-C podcast. Thanks for joining me on this trip through time. See you here in the exact same spot tomorrow. Hey everyone, I'm Eves, and welcome to another episode of This Day in History class. The day was March 26, 1888. Swedish nurse and philanthropist Elsa Brandstrom was born. Brandstrom became known as the Angel of Siberia for her work with prisoners of war. Brandstrom was born in St. Petersburg to Edward Brandstrom and Anna Wilhelmina Eskelson. Her father was a Swedish military attaché to Russia, and her family went back to Sweden for a while when she was a child. Her father went back to St. Petersburg as an envoy in 1906, but she stayed in Sweden, where she was training to become a teacher. She went back to St. Petersburg in 1908. Elsa's mother died in 1913, just before the outbreak of World War I in 1914. When the war began, Elsa and her friend, Ethel von Haydenstam, were trained as nurses. Elsa began serving at a military hospital. There, she cared for wounded Russian soldiers. But she found that Russia was not providing the necessary support to prisoners of war. So she and von Haydenstam worked to find private donations to help care for the POWs. In 1915, the Swedish Red Cross asked her to go to Siberia to do relief work in the prisoner camps. Conditions were poor in the camps. They lacked winter clothes, blankets, medical supplies, and other basic necessities. Many people got sick because of these conditions, and diseases like typhus killed a lot of prisoners of war. During these trips, she gave out food, clothing, and medical supplies to POWs. At a Siberian camp called Sretinsk, Brandstrom's inspections led to changes that helped slow the typhoid epidemic. 
When she was in Europe, she met with families of Russian POWs. Though the Central Powers in Russia signed a peace treaty in 1918, ending Russia's participation in World War I, the Red Cross continued its relief work. Elsa was accused of being a spy and arrested at one point. She was even threatened with execution, but her sentence was revoked. Elsa got typhoid in 1919. The next year, she was imprisoned, but soon released. She went back to Sweden in July of 1920. In Sweden, she continued to support POWs in Siberia. She collected donations and sent winter clothing to them. In 1921, she even published a memoir called Among Prisoners of War in Russia and Siberia. With the money from her book, from a lecture tour in the U.S., and from her work at a relief association, she was able to fund a health resort, a home for the children of POWs, and a labor sanatorium to train POWs to work jobs like farming or fishing. In the children's home, she only accepted kids who would become, quote, first-class people and refused those with disabilities and character traits deemed unacceptable. Elsa married Robert Ulick in 1929, and they moved to Dresden. They had a daughter together in 1932. Because she worked with prisoners of war, she was recognized by Hitler. But she and her husband disapproved of the rise of the Nazis. The family moved to the U.S., where Ulick had gotten a job at Harvard. Elsa helped refugees from Nazi Germany and occupied Scandinavian countries get residency permits. She died in 1948 in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you want to leave us a message on social media, you can do so on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at T-D-I-H-C-Podcast. You can also send us a note via email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks again for listening to the podcast, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.